Welcome to Respect My Crown, a community designed to support women who desire to step into the abundance that awaits them. We know that now is the time to manifest our visions, realize our dreams, and accomplish our goals. Respect My Crown is a support system that encourages women to deepen in spirituality, sisterhood, accountability, and service. My name is Jillian J.J. Simmons, and our very special guest today is a correspondent for World News, Good Morning America, 2020, and Nightline. She is a pretty big deal, people. She is a wife, a mother to the cutest little boy ever, a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. She's a best-selling author of a children's book called The World is Awake, which we'll chat about in a little bit. Now, I remember her when she was an anchor on the weekend at WTHR right. <laughs> in Indianapolis, Indiana. It has been a pleasure watching her and her career flourish over the years. Please welcome Lindsay Davis to the show. How are you, Lindsay? JJ, thank you so much for having me. I am well. I am blessed. So I, I'm really just thrilled to be a part of this. You know, as many interviews as I've done in my career, I'm always so nervous to interview journalists because I feel as though <laughs> you all are secretly critiquing every question no, that I ask. No, not at all. <laughs> you know what? I think There's that it's just pressure. because we are the ones that are always doing the, the question asking. It's just like a nice change of pace to be able to just answer for, for yes, once. Yes, so. yes, yes. No critique well, here. Thank you. Whew. All right. The pressure is <laughs> off. <laughs> I've always wondered how you cover stories. Like, do they slide across your desk, or do you have the privilege of covering stories that you're really passionate about? I would say 95% uh, of them are assigned, and and 5%. Now, that's different for everybody, but for for me, I would say like 5% are the stories that I've actually pitched that end up uh, going on the air. And then other than that, maybe I'll say 90-10. I'll say 90% I'm assigned, and, yeah. and 10% I actually pitch. Oh, nice, nice. Uh, you've done an incredible job of raising awareness around the Me Too movement with stories on Harvey Weinstein and Bill Cosby. And I was having a conversation with an anchor that we both know, and um, she's a good friend of mine. And we spoke about the misconduct that we've experienced ourselves in our careers and kind mm -hmm. of brushing it aside because, mm -hmm. you know, while it feels uncomfortable, we didn't want to ruffle feathers or we didn't right. want to cause any drama or, you know, the men in management, sometimes it's like a boys club. But right. I just always wonder, like, have you ever experienced any misconduct or sexual harassment in your career? You know, nothing. Uh, well, and that's the thing. I mean, because uh, how do we assign a weight to it? Right. Because my initial answer was going to be nothing significant, but um, I have to even be you know, kind of careful what I say with that, because there, I have observed, you know, men behaving badly. Um, yeah. And it, and it put me in a, I will say an awkward or an uncomfortable position, but I was able to kind of maneuver out of it in a way that I think made it like a, a no must, no fuss in a way. But, um, yeah. but that's not to excuse their behavior. But I would say, fortunately, I haven't had it rise to the to the level that, you know, some women and many women um, have to deal with uh, on a regular basis in all different uh, walks mm -hmm. of life, you know, different capacities as, as far as uh, different industries, 
um, it, it really hasn't been. I mean, there have been moments where it was kind of like, hey, you know, do you want to go out for a drink? Where where does that end up leading, you know? And so mostly, mm-hmm. most of the time I'd be like, oh, I have a conflict. Unfortunately, can't make that work out. But you knew that there was the potential of a, a slippery slope. But sometimes yeah. the drink is just a drink, you know, but it's just it's just kind of hard to kind of figure out and walk that fine line, especially now when you're looking at things retroactively like, hmm, I don't know what the intentions were of that person. Oh, yeah, I know. And, you know, there's always that fine line. You know, I've heard guys in in the radio industry say, well, you know, I was just flirting. What's wrong with flirting? Yeah, and right, it's like, right. yeah, we're at work. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. You know, there is that right. very fine line of guys. Like guys are scared now to to give a compliment to a woman because yeah. they feel like it could be turned into something else. And that's else, unfortunate. But... That's unfortunate because I think that there are two totally different things, right? If you are yeah. giving somebody a compliment or if you actually have, you know, bad intentions. And like the, yes. the most, so this was like the level where I guess it was the, 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 the most that somebody was actually clearly coming on to me in an inappropriate way. It was like after a holiday party. It was when I was working in Michigan prior to working in Indiana. And um, and the guy, was, was we worked together, and he was helping me pump gas. And during that moment, as he was like helping me pump gas, he like leaned over to kiss me. And oh. I said to this person, I was like, in a very calm way, like I said his name, and I was just like, you know, you're married. And like, you don't want like this, like for your kids and your wife, like this isn't what you mean. And yeah, he yeah. he kind of just like backed off. And then I continued to work with him and we never had another like problem or any kind of like awkward exchange after that. But I realized that it's not at all always that easy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I think it's good that you said that, too, because I do believe we need to be able to encourage women to stand up for themselves. And if you do find yourself in an uncomfortable position, and I get it, like you said, it's not always that easy, but there are situations I think like that are similar to those that sometimes we might let slide, We know, we might not address it at all, or we do it so uh, nonchalant that, you know, the person comes back and does it again. So Right. We we, we want to see women, you know, stand firm. Um, Dr. Blase Ford, in, uh, uh, we, of course, recently heard the reactions to her open testimony. Right. And uh, I've heard men say, you know, I'm glad that she took a stand. I've heard some guys say, and, and women say, why would she wait that long right. to, yes. to just now say something? Right. Um, right. How do you feel about this new awakening where women aren't afraid to speak out and how do you think it will impact the world? Well, you know, I have to say I read, um, I think it was an op-ed. Somebody sent me an email from Connie Chung and I'm I'm pulling it up now so that I can um, accurately. So, so for those who don't remember, but Connie Chung was a former ABC correspondent and yeah, so it was a, it was a Washington post column that just came out and she said, dear Christine Blase Ford, I too was sexually assaulted, not 36 years ago, but about 50 years ago. I've kept my dirty little secret to myself silence for five decades. The molester was our wow. trusted family doctor. What made this monster even more reprehensible was that he was the very doctor who delivered me. Anyway, she goes on saying that, you know, she doesn't remember a lot of things, but she remembers the attack. Um, in yeah. excruciating detail. And she said she never told her parents. 
and only told her husband years later. Um, but I, I think that when you have all of these women coming forward and saying, look, it happened to me too. And look, I didn't say anything. And here's why I didn't say anything. And yes, the, the details surrounding it were hazy, but that doesn't mean that the attack didn't happen. I mean, I think that that's so powerful that other women are now coming forward, like a Connie Chung, who didn't even just come out. I mean, this isn't even the first wave of Me Too, you know, I mean, because it was kind of like, after Bill Cosby, we didn't really hear other women. It was like the women who were coming forward were just Cosby accusers, like isolated mm-hmm. as if he were the only person who had ever been accused of something like this. Right. And right. It was, it was like, I think like more than a year after that, that then, um, you know, we had the New Yorker come out with the Harvey Weinstein allegations. And that was then when we had the tidal wave of, oh, you know, it happened to me too in across so many different industries. But I think, you know, so here you have somebody like Connie Chung who's coming out way after the fact saying, look, it happened 50 years ago for me. I think that that's really powerful to have this like sisterhood and women who are, who are supporting, you know, uh, like a, a Dr. Ford in this scenario. But but Dr. Ford's in an anonymous way across the country who don't have that name and don't have the recognition um, who are now feeling empowered. Lindsay, I think we've both been in our industries about the same amount of time. Has it been almost 20 years for you? Yeah. So uh, yeah, about 19 years. Um, I'm sure it hasn't been an easy ride. And in journalism news, um, you know, it's likely that you have to go to a smaller city to get your foot Mm -hmm. in the door, even if you currently live or you were born in a big city, right? Was that true for you? That was definitely true. So I'm from South Jersey. So my home market is Philadelphia, which is the fourth largest television market in the country. So there was no way I was going to be able to, you know, get my foot in the door starting in Philadelphia. Some people are really fortunate where their home market is a small market. So they're able to kind of start there and maybe even stay there for their career. But so I did a little hopscotch in the Midwest. So I, I started out in Syracuse. Um, at a CBS affiliate, which was, I think at the time, like maybe around like the 81, uh, it was like maybe the 81st largest um, television market. Then I went to Flint, Michigan, which was like 64. And then I had, for whatever reason, made this random point in my life where I said, by the time I'm 25, I want to be at a 25 or larger market. And so a few months before my 25th birthday, I went to Indianapolis, which was in fact market 25. (laughs) So I got got my goal just by the skin of my teeth. But um, uh, and then and then kind of made this goal that by the time I'm 30, I want to be at the network. And same thing happened just like through God's grace. I just a few months before my my 30th birthday got the job here at ABC News. Uh, I love it. Yeah, I just I I love seeing you know people uh, just grow. You know what I mean? I'd like yeah. to be able to say like I remember Lindsay when she was doing weekends. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. For now sure. Now when I see you on TV, I it just really warms my heart, and I know the uh, work that you put in because I know you know I just know this industry very well, and it's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and people think that it's very glamorous, and it's right. not at all. <laughs> you know, um, one of the ways that we find out quickly that we are human beings is by making mistakes. On your journey to greatness, have you made any big mistakes or had any embarrassing moments, and, and how were you able to really push through? 
Sure. I mean, I think um, I've had a lot of embarrassing moments for sure, um, just because like by nature of the beast uh, of doing live TV or radio or whatever, you're going to slip up or not remember oh, yeah. a word or blank out, you know, whatever might happen uh, and still could happen. Right. You know, going forward. Yeah. Um, so but, you know, the one good thing, because there are people who kind of uh, maybe work their way up from like a desk assistant or intern or production assistant at the network and then kind of end up on air. I think that one thing that was really good for me was kind of doing that hopscotch and starting in the smaller markets because those smaller markets are pretty forgiving. And I remember <laughs> yeah. it was like uh, I was covering, there was a fire in like the Syracuse area and I was on the air and it was really one of my first times being live. And there was some kind of like tone in my ear. And rather than just take my earpiece out and keep talking, I was talking about like the tone that I was hearing in my ear <laughs> on live, you know, TV. And so that was just, and even as I was doing it, I was knowing I shouldn't be talking about the tone in my ear. But then I got yeah. so distracted, I couldn't remember even like any point that I wanted to make about the fire that was happening behind me. Oh, God. <laughs> so, so, but, but at any rate, I mean, those kinds of um, mistakes are fortunately, you know, in the, in the smaller markets, I think it, it, you know, it's very forgiving and you can make a lot of, uh, you know, when you're green, I think that people will kind of accept that, oh, this person's new and bless her oh, heart, yeah. you know. Um, <laughs> but, but again, yeah, you know, I could, I could, I could call you tomorrow and be like, girl, look what happened to me yesterday, you know. I yeah. Mean, any, we're all just like one moment away from from having that that info, embarrassing moment yes. on TV. But yeah, I think you know just <laughs> trying to get all those uh, mistakes out of the system early, and and just like anything else, you know, it's just like the more you do something with the repetition, then chances are not only so it's, it's not that you won't make the mistake, but you'll be able to recover uh, more quickly. Oh, you'll yeah. know what to do in order to kind of sidestep and now we're right back into the routine again speaking of that something that did go viral um was your interview with with little wayne and right, uh, right. you know we we saw little wayne walk out during during the interview i know that was it was awkward but was it embarrassing to you i didn't find it embarrassing i really didn't i felt almost just bad for him that he was that was his reaction. That was his best defense. Um, and I really was more than anything. I was just kind of like shocked. Yeah. You're like, really? This is what's happening right now? Like, why? Wait, what? Like a minute ago, we were laughing together. And you were giving yeah. me props that I knew lyrics to your songs. Like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> so how did this go so left? Um, yeah. I was really kind of just like scratching my head perplexed like more than, than any other emotion. And he, he gave me quite quite an earful. So oh, it comes with the wah, 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 That's wah, why you're right. so tough. I know. Uh, let's just finish this sentence for me. If I knew then what I know now. If I knew then what I know now, I would have told myself, yeah, my younger self, that I'm enough. And mm. I... I guess, and and I might even not only, I might not qualify that just to say I would tell my younger self that. I would have to say I'd still try and remind my now 40 plus year old self that I'm enough. Um, yeah. I think that like so often, and maybe it comes with age where you get a little more comfortable. I mean, I heard, heard different people kind of do different 
iterations of like when I was in my 30s, I felt this. When I was in my 40s, I felt this. When I was in my 50s, I just didn't care anymore with some expletives in there, you know. And I think that um, there was always a, a part of me that was feeling like I wasn't enough and feeling like I needed to please and feeling like I needed to be someone else in order to please, like especially mm-hmm. in a in a career setting, in a career yes. situation and always just feeling like I just needed to be better than I was. And no matter what level I was getting to, it was just like I just wasn't good enough in the room. And you know, I think that when you're always trying to be someone that you're not, then you're being inauthentic. And then quite often, that is a turn off to people, right? Because you're not being true to oh, yeah. who yeah, you I really mean, are. Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. so I think I actually just have started getting that lesson, like just recently. And it's wow. unfortunate. I really wish that like my 30 year old self felt more of that. Like I said, I'm not even still to the point where I constantly regularly feel it and believe it, but I I wish that I had more of the 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 confidence um and the comfortability really to just be me and be okay in the skin that I'm in. Yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing that. I know so many people um struggle with with the same thing. I think too when you're in this type of business, there's this pressure to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, more so than any um than a lot of other industries and um and knowing that what people think matters right. has been a struggle for me too. You know, it's like if yes. all my life I've had to worry about ratings and likes and yes. clicks and right. all right. of it like it just it really wears you out and it can be right. very draining and and you know, you feel this um, so much pressure from the powers that be that you everything has to be perfect. Right. And it's not, um, it's just not real. You know, this perfection is not real. It doesn't exist. You know, you might have your own perspective or perception of what you think perfect is, but it really isn't real. There is no perfect. I mean, for me, it was kind of like, you know, so many of us breathe this deep sigh of relief after we graduate from high school, because then it's like you're trying to be liked, you're trying to figure out who you are, right? But in this kind of industry, it still comes down to quite often, like, who likes you? Yeah. <laughs> and how yeah. many people like you? And how yeah. popular you are? You know, are you in the cool group? It's still like, in so many ways, all those things that were really challenging about high school that, you know, we're still part of now. And, oh, yeah. um, and so, and it's you like know, a bigger that, high school. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so that can be tough. But I think if you have the right outlook and perspective, you can understand what's happening and therefore, you know, handle and, and prepare yourself mentally and emotionally better for being still in that, that world. That's true. Very good. I love that you don't hide your faith and you've been vocal in other interviews about praying and, you know, reading in your word and I just wonder, what are some of the go-to or a go-to scripture that helps you to push through the hard times? Sure. Well, you know, I got to tell you, I moved from when I moved from Indianapolis. And first of all, I was just still like so shell-shocked by the prices, you know, like how much it was going <laughs> to be for a studio apartment in New York City. I was like, wait, what? Woo. 
Yes. And and at the time, I think I may have even taken a bit of a pay cut number-wise, but for sure I did just cost of living-wise, moving from Indianapolis to New York initially. And so I moved in. I still hadn't sold my um, townhouse in Indianapolis yet. So when I moved to New York, I moved in with a cousin of mine. And I was I, the movers. I kept a lot of stuff in storage because I knew at some point I was going to be getting like probably my studio, whatever I could afford. And so I had a few boxes that the movers brought to my cousin's house and I um, was kind of unpacking these boxes in my cousin's house. And I was thinking, like, what have I gotten myself into? And was this the right <laughs> yeah. move? And like, I just, I don't, I don't know that I was crying, but I, if I, I may not have been shedding tears, but emotionally I was at that place where I might as well have been. I was mm-hmm. just really distraught and really questioning what I had just done. I had a really nice, comfortable life in Indianapolis with like, you know, a trajectory that was still, there was still, still more room to grow. And then I was yeah. kind of, starting back at square one, maybe even the basement level uh, in New York City. And I was unpacking these boxes and I was just like, what have I done? And I opened up there. I'd had a little going away event and um, a guy that I went to to church with, he had given me a gift and I hadn't um, and I hadn't uh, opened up the gift yet. And so I just was opening up these boxes and unwrapped this gift and it was just a plaque with the scripture Jeremiah twenty nine eleven for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you a future and a hope and it was like right yeah. on time it it was like and that has been that's a very long way of telling you that has become my Jeremiah twenty nine eleven and I ride and die together you know like that is yes. the scripture <laughs> that is my go to because in that moment I needed God to say I have a plan for you, you know, and, and that plan is to prosper you. It's not to harm you. And I like in that moment, I was like, okay, God, like, thank you. Thank you for speaking to me right now in this moment. You know, I just, I needed to hear. And, and it, and it turned out it was like the best thing for me to do was to come to New York. But I think that we all suffer with that doubt, you know, every once in a while. And and like, just, just being unsure if you're making the right move. And, um, and so, yes, Jeremiah 29, 11, it speaks to me still. I write it in cards to people. Like I just, to me, it's the like, the medication for all it's like the 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 band-aid for any kind yes. of ailment that you have um is just knowing that god has a plan for you yes yes you also make a, a priority you know for your son to grow strong in in his faith also and you've written a book called the world is awake can you tell us a little bit about the book and why you wrote it Sure. Yeah. I mean, so my son was 100% the inspiration for it. And uh, we were in the car when he was about two years old. And he said, Mommy, does God open up the flowers? And I was really uh, pleasantly surprised by his curiosity and, and ability to also make the connection between God and nature. And I had already been thinking, like, since he was a baby about maybe writing a children's book, but I just didn't know what the topic would be. And I felt like in that moment, he kind of planted the seed of what it would be about because I it's always been very important to me that I build a, a foundation of faith for my son but uh, and we we to that point you know we have like a lot of baby scripture books and bible books at home and he's really into you know David and Goliath and Jonah and the whale and all of that but he's into it just for the storyline he doesn't really understand God's hand and and I think it's just like too above 
his head at you know as as a, a toddler or you know even a five five or six year old oh, yeah. and so I really was just trying to meet him and his age group where they are and by being like look at all of God's creations all around you see that butterfly you see that snowflake see the rainbow see the sunrise and the sunset yeah. and just kind of looking at all of God's you know the blessings that quite often as uh as adults, we overlook, you know, that we just get just too busy in our own world and mind to pay attention to a ladybug, mm -hmm. you know, and the things yeah. that excite um, a, a young child. And, and so I found being a mom that it really um, reawoke, uh, if that's, if that's a word, <laughs> my own, my own, um, excitement you know the things that like when we were kids and you'd make you know a snow angel or jump into a pile of leaves or whatever it is the things that like my son yeah. is looking at for the first time in the world and he's just so excited by and it's really it, contagious and really so now i'll be like aiden hey look at that squirrel look at this you know yeah. and he's, <laughs> he's really into it and it reminds me and you know like just one quick little story one day i was about to leave for work and there was all this snow and so i was kind of like oh, this is now going to take double the time to get to work and, you know, my commute is going to be pretty nasty. And meanwhile, my son was out with his, like, mitt on and he was like, oh, this snowflake is so cool. Look at this snowflake. And then we ended up, you know, looking at, you know, this, the, the uniqueness and the, the delicate and intricate designs of snowflakes, like things I, I haven't looked at a snowflake in like oh, 35 God, yeah. years, you know, yeah. and, we probably complained so, about those snowflakes more than exactly. <laughs> right, right. And so it's just kind of looking at, you know, the wonder and, and beauty of, of, of God all around us that that quite often, you know, we forget and just kind of being a, a reminder to our children, like, yeah, look at look at God all around you. Yeah. Where can people purchase the book, Lindsay? Oh, you can get it uh, on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, wherever books are sold. You, you should be able to find uh, The World is Awake. I love it. Oh, this is so awesome. Um, you know, news people are intimidating to me. Um, you all <laughs> smile like once a week or something like that. And, uh, <laughs> and still I saw your Instagram. And I said, oh, my God, Lindsay is a marathon runner. She's smiling. She's laughing. Like, it's the one thing I do love about social media is yes, see this other part of, right. of, you know, of people we would never see. Well, Lindsay, as we wrap up um, this interview, there are four elements that make up respect my crown, spirituality, sisterhood, accountability, and service. Um, can you just tell the listeners what does spirituality look for you, look like for you? Are you, uh, you know, spending time with God daily or for your prayer life? What does it look like for you? Well, I now, and I love it um, because, you know, we're on our, our phones and, you know, iPads and uh, technology so often, and, and I have the, the Holy Bible app. So every day it really yeah. holds me accountable that it'll tell you when you're, you know, consecutively, how many streaks, how many days, how many weeks you've actually opened it up every day to read the scripture of the day. So I yeah. really try to... Not just read it, because sometimes I was just like reading it and then just like, okay, and now I'm opening up my app for X, Y, Z. Um, really kind of try and let, like sit with it for a minute. Like, what does this mean? And how am I really applying it? And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I try and, you know, meditate on it even if I, if I, if I 
can, and, and maybe I shouldn't even say if I can, because we always can do what we want to do. Uh, but I'm trying to be better at, at making yeah. sure that I give it the, the proper time. Um, and, you know, my husband and I do Bible studies often, not as much as we, like, we initially set out that we were going to do it weekly, and, and now we might just do it monthly. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that that's really important um, for a marriage or for, you know, a romantic relationship that you have that, uh, you know, you're equally yoked uh, in that way. Um, and, and with my And with my son, you know, really getting him, he sings, he's four, but, you know, he sings on the church choir. And, you know, he doesn't even, you know, he was singing this song the other day and he asked me, he's like, what does worship mean? You know, and so it ends up being a really great, you know, just teaching moment for him. And yeah. and he's, he's already, I mean, it's just, I think what we grow up and knowing um, is, is so influential and, and just kind of building that, that foundation that, that, that is really important to me to make sure that he gets a sense of, you know, who God is and that God is always there with us and he loves yeah. us and we can't see him, but he's there. And he's really still trying to grasp that idea. I mean, just last night he was talking about like, well, so he's invisible, but so we can never see him when we die. Will we see him when we're on the airplane? <laughs> will we see him? You know, oh. and so it's a lot of times the answers are like the questions are really over my head and I don't really yeah. know the, the best know. way like, to, to answer this. It's like I'm stumped <laughs> by a four year old for that. <laughs> yeah. Right, 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 right. So, and it doesn't stop, Lindsay. So get ready. And my daughter's yes, question keeps yes. coming, and they just get more intense. <laughs> yes. Um, what about sisterhood? You know, do you have a big tribe of friends or a small tribe of friends, and how do you keep the right people around you? Yes. Yeah, so I have. There are five of us from UVA. We all happen to be AKAs, and um, <laughs> uh, we're on a group thread. And we probably talk to each other, if not every day, several times a week on that thread. And that could be anything from what's going on with one of us personally or what's going on, you know, with like the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation. I mean, we're just talking about, you know, Nike or whatever the like latest news is or, you know, whatever is going on with us work wise or, uh, you know, personally. Um, and those are the people who I know are down for me and I know that I'm down for them. And, and I think that, that we've just really come to, to count on each other. And as I continue to feel older and older as I talk to you, JJ, because, yeah, now I'm looking at I've been I've been out of college now for over 20 years. And yeah. and these are these are all my friends that I made, you know, we, we crossed spring in 97. So what is that? So 20 so going on 22 years, these have been the, the people in, in, you know, my life. So, That's and neat. I'm really blessed, really blessed with, uh, with that circle of friends. The, uh, the third aspect of respect my crown is accountability. So do your, your friends keep you accountable or do you have the type of people around you that are like, Hey, Lindsay, this isn't a good idea or, you For know, sure. Really give you great advice. Yeah. I mean, they're the ones that are like, you know, you've got food in your teeth and I can't believe that you've been walking <laughs> around all day and nobody told you you had the, the, the food in your teeth and you're dragging the toilet paper on the bottom of your shoe. And I think that that's so important, right? Um, yeah. That, that people tell you the truth. And I do have, you know, um, 
for different ones, I'd go to them for different reasons. And, and if I am really, you know, one of my girlfriends, Leslie, if I am really looking for just the unadulterated, the thing that I don't even want to hear truth, you know, I'm going to go to, to her about that. And, and yeah, for sure. Um, there is like a lot of, um, accountability, I would say, yeah, within, within the group. And, and I'm also really close with my parents and, um, and they, uh, definitely, um, are going to, I mean, I'm still their baby girl, so they may not like see me and judge me the same way this, this cruel, cold world does, but, but they, (laughs) they're definitely going to give me a, a bit of that, uh, that honesty serum as well. That's wonderful. And the last element is service. So what are maybe some of the ways that you give back to the world? Well, what I need to get back to doing more, which I was doing a lot in Indianapolis and then like pretty much the first uh, five years that I was here in New York, but a prison ministry. So I started a prison ministry um, at the church that I was attending in Indianapolis. And that went really so well. It was at a juvenile detention center in Indianapolis and we would deal with just the girls. And it was so fulfilling um, in a way that, you know, I actually initially set out thinking like, oh, we are going to be such a blessing for these girls. But in the end, I mean, the girls filled us um, yeah. with just uh, keeping in mind. I think sometimes it's so easy to disappear into your own world and really forget about what life is like for for some people and the, the struggle that is day to day for for people all the time you know i mean struggle everybody has struggle right but struggle is different when you you don't have to worry about when when your next meal is coming from you don't have to worry that you're going to be like molested by a relative you know Um, so, so so i mean different people feel struggle obviously in different ways but um but there was just a lot of just a reminder for me about why it's so important to just, uh, you know, do God's work in that way. And it was just so rewarding. And so uh, when I got to New York, it was a little more difficult, um, just a lot more red tape in doing it. And so I, I, I did it maybe again for like the first five years. And just it, since I've had my son kind of gotten away from it because work, I'm so involved with work often. And then the rest of my time, I'm trying to pour into him and just get the, the time. Oh, yeah. Um, but what everything. I do do, <laughs> it changes everything totally. But what I do do, um, it, my my family, my my uh, my husband, my son, and I, my we're getting my son in on the act very early. For the last, this will be our third year coming up this first Saturday in December, where I paired up with um, a, a women's shelter in Harlem. And we give them a Christmas that they otherwise wouldn't have. Oh, and uh, wow. and just I get all my family and friends and, and it's really become like a whole big thing. And we adopt a family or two families and we get, you know, the moms to give a, the kids wish list ahead of time. And last year we got a company sponsor and they were giving the kids bikes and whatever. And now oh, wow. in the end, I thought it didn't really, didn't really work out. How I thought, cause like in New York city, giving kids bikes, Eh, doesn't really, <laughs> you know, they don't really have like a place to ride the bike. Yeah. Stuff, you know, right, right. But, but that is is one way. So we're trying to just mainly just show our son who thinks kind of like, can I have this toy today? I want this toy today, and it just like poof, magic appears. That you know, yes. it's not really like that. 
for for many kids and so he has to kind of donate some of his toys as well and he goes out shopping with us for other kids and and so hopefully it's it's teaching him a lesson and giving him again that that foundation of wanting to give and be charitable i think that that's really super important oh, yeah. and that's just you know one annual event but i but i would like to do more and constantly feel that i i do need to do more but that's at least the one thing each year that uh that at least i feel like i'm i'm actually doing what god oh, would want yeah. me to do in that way a great impact very good very good um lindsay we always end with having our guests um give an affirmation maybe there's something that you say to yourself or something that you feel like other women need to tell themselves every day you know, I think, you know, with, at the risk of being redundant, I think it would be, I am enough. I am enough. Yeah. You know, I think yeah. that, that quite often we just don't feel or hear or believe whatever the issue is, the disconnect, you know, just always feeling that. And and that's the flip side, because I agree with you, like social media is great for a number of reasons. But I think that quite often, you know, what, what, what people talk about, like how they're living their best lives or whatever. And so like with social media, for example, you can kind of get caught up in the keeping up with the Joneses and like, oh, yeah. I guess I should be doing that. And I guess like I'm not enough in this way or that way or that person's so happy because you know look at their big smiles but they're just posting like the happy yeah. bright spots right they're not they're yes. not posting the yes. picture quite often of the drama that they just went through to get to that smile but um, right. but I think yeah just but, but just feeling like um like you're enough I think that that yeah. that's that's the mantra I love it I am enough Lindsay Davis thank you so much for being a part of our show be sure to pick up her book um, the World is Awake. It is on Amazon. You can get to Barnes and Noble and grab her book that way. Thank you so much for JJ. For I just to the ladies today. Well, I just thank you for having me continue to be a part of your circle. And again, with the social media, the upside of it that I'm able to just see you, and I'm like, wow, you literally glow. Now I don't know if that's oh, a filter. Thank you. <laughs> the filter, Girl, that's but, a filter. But, <laughs> no, but but you look great, and you just emanate greatness, you know. And and thank I'm just you. so proud to know you and that we've kept in touch and that you've lifted me up as well. Like, you know, having me on with the radio and whatever. And it's just been just a blessing, uh, you know, to know you and just stay connected. So I just, I thank you. Thank you. Same here. I'm so proud of you. I, and then the next time I'm in New York, I have to reach out Please, so that definitely. I can come see yes. you and, and hang we'll out wear and our crowns together and drink and yes! drink out of some goblets and it. wear our crowns. <laughs> That's right. I love it. Well, Lindsay, have a beautiful day and I'll talk to you soon. All right. You also, JJ, be blessed.